As a content creator, a podcaster, or an influencer, collaborating with brands helps your work to reach more audiences. For brands and marketers, crafting good partnerships with content creators has many benefits. In this episode, I'm joined by the founder of MASH Startup, Mashudu Mudao. He's also a podcaster, a content creator, and a seasoned community builder. We discuss how he helped Yoko, Red Bull, and other brands to build highly engaged communities. You get to set a mission for a particular group of people that believe in the same thing and want to achieve something together. He also shares how brands and content creators can collaborate more effectively. Some of the notable brands he works with include Telcom, Sage, and others. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Please subscribe, share this episode with your network, ask them to share, make the circle bigger. Welcome to The Lead Creative Podcast where we talk to creative industry leaders, influencers, and brands. We discuss the strategies that influence brand thinking and shape industries. Thought leaders and heads of agencies let us in on some of their thinking and insights. I'm your host, Mungi Simtati. Enjoy the show, and please share and subscribe. Mashudu, thanks so much for making the time to join us on The Lead Creative. Um, by the way, before we start, I've been loving the stuff you've been doing on Mesh Startup with, um, you know, taking us back to some of your past episodes and just kind of discussing that. Uh, is there is there a strategy behind that? Is there something big that's coming? Like, because I see that you've been doing it more now than I guess, say, six months ago. Like, is there, has there been a change? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I see you, we're diving straight into it. <laughs> um, That's how we do I think it. That, I think that um, creatives, sometimes we use um, social media sort of timelines to to measure our work. Um, I think that's a bad thing to do. I think it's important to go back to the work that you've done before, bring it back. There's people that are just finding out you exist and they don't know about all the incredible things you've done. So we shouldn't treat content as disposable and just like it has no value after 24 hours. That's like a social media thing. It's an algorithm thing. We need to think a lot more long term about the work that we're doing. And I think like when it comes to entrepreneurship and small business and startup content, you can repurpose these things, right? Like the principles remain the same. It's not disposable content you can't just discard these things you can reuse repurpose and reformat content in order to serve you in the present um, if you find the right way to deliver it this is very interesting for me because i've been seeing a lot of this especially and i'm saying this in i'm saying in recent times but i've kind of been seeing it more called it in the past year than i have say for years prior where people are repurposing the same kinds of content every now and again, every so often, even some of the most influential people or people that I think are influential whom I follow, where they are taking us back to content pieces that you would have seen, more so people that I follow closely, like I follow your work closely, for instance. So I see this on my timeline. I see some of these episodes. I see some of the conversations that you had on the Mesh Startup podcast. And I definitely see this this rise in repurposing of content, more so on Twitter, because Twitter has, of course, changed its algorithm or algorithms, um, as it were. How has this change affected you or changed your approach? Um, you know, these, these platforms are always changing, right? Like you're just constantly adapting to what they think um, is important to them. I think that Simply having um, Twitter verification was like such a big step just to democratize, I think, the platform's like, you know, signals, right? Like, I think there's so much value in being able to tweet more long form stuff, being able to share longer videos and stuff like that. So I think the platform's evolving very quickly and it's the one I spend the most time on. I'd say the algorithm is is weird, right? Like, it's such a... When you when you think about how the, the other other sort of platforms think about these things, I just don't understand it as much, right? Like 
with TikTok. I remember going to like a TikTok event and they explained how their algorithm works, right? So it's simple. They take your piece of content, they show it to 10 people. 10 people, three people like it. Okay, it's got some potential. We'll show it to 100 people. If 30 people like it in that 100, we're going to show it to 1,000 and then 10,000 and then 100,000 and then a million and then whatever else it is. And that just rewards really great content. What it really means is that if you are making really great content and people like it and they engage with it, that means that you will be rewarded by the platform. I don't think that Instagram works the same. I think their algorithm is definitely very different. Um, They do still have a reward system, though, where you see if a post goes up and it has a certain amount of engagement, people tend to just go, okay, I'm going to show this a lot more. I don't think that's how Twitter works. Twitter's algorithm is just Twitter. It's just like its own existence. And you sort of just like try and put as much content out as you should. Um, Be intentional about that. And hopefully you'll find your community. I do think that they're not doing as good a job as before where you would see like a lot more virality in the tweets and the content and stuff like that. I think now it's a lot more, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't feel the same. I do think it's still one of the most important platforms for conversations. And that's where podcasters should be spending their time because that's where you get to know your community. You understand who your people are, why they're listening to your podcast, why they want to engage with it. What are the things that they find interesting and stuff like that? I think, um, okay, so I think on the on the TikTok side of things, first of all, uh, we've had, I think we've had TikTok um, here and in fact, the, the previous episode was us talking to TikTok precisely oh, about cool. this. Um, I know that also um, Instagram just recently announced that they are changing the algorithms and and they were explaining precisely what you're saying, how they reward um, content creators. And I think there's also channels now coming into, into, into Instagram. So that's going to make that landscape really interesting. On just sticking with Twitter, there's there are many opposing sort of arguments around Twitter, which the which is the one that you've just that you've just uh, put forward, which is that Twitter is a platform for organic conversation, for conversations to understand your your audience. There's the other side of that where people are saying they're leaving Twitter because it feels toxic. There's a certain toxicity that Twitter allows, which other platforms kind of don't in that sense, right? Um, So I don't know if, I don't know where you stand, um, where that's concerned, but you've clearly, I think, said that for you, it's it's a really great platform for insight or insight gathering on your audience. It's an important, like, platform right and i think the ceo the new ceo um she wrote like this letter to the whole employees and stuff and one of the things she she kept saying was like town the world's town square where the conversation happens where it starts and where it keeps going i don't necessarily think um you should only use twitter as a news source but i you have an advantage when you do i think you really are seeing um the most relevant conversations that are happening at a certain level in a country at that moment, right? And I think that's what the real value of the platform is. And I think what I've always tried to do is use the platform to connect with small business owners, entrepreneurs, creators, and really understand the nature of what every everyone is doing, what they're building, what they're creating. And you can have really open conversations in those places just to say, okay, you know, what are entrepreneurs thinking? What are the struggles that they're having? I just don't think those conversations flow as easily or as seamlessly on other platforms, um, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Facebook. I think LinkedIn has an interesting, like, outside chance of being this place as well. Um, I think LinkedIn's, like, becoming a very, very important place for content creators. And with this new, like, they have this new creator mode on LinkedIn where you actually are sort of designing your profile a lot more like a content creator than, you know, just an employee or someone that's looking for a job. It's more around actually creating content for the platform and putting it out in the right ways. I think they could do a lot better in terms of the design of the platform or actually, like, enabling you know, high media sort of stuff on there. Um, I don't see like really good ways to put out audio or, you know, the way they, they they make the video work on the platform is not as good either. 
So there are all these platforms where you can sort of start to get to know your community. And I think like what you need to be clear on is who your people are because you know, you you could be doing something and you think that your community is on Twitter, but your community might be on Instagram. And that's where the conversation they mm -hmm. want to have is. Um, it could be somewhere else. So it's important to really get to know your community as much as possible, understand who these people are, where they hang out, and specifically online, because that means that you can connect them to each other. Um, yeah, I, and I think that's what I mean. Like, when I speak about community, I'm speaking about creating a platform for people where you set the mission and then connect them to each other to fulfill something. And I think like that's the job of a podcaster as well um, is to really just create so, a platform. So, so, so yeah. just, just to pause it a little bit there because I want us to get into that a little bit more. Um, so in my, you know, in my following your work, I, f I feel like in Mesh Startup and Lucha, you built what I see as movements that started out as an interest in building startups. Can you talk us through how you built this or these, specifically these two platforms with a focus on creating this community that you speak about, with a focus on creating, I mean, you've just mentioned the mission that kind of connects them. Is that how you approach community building? Um, can you talk us through that? Yeah. So I've always like approached it in that way, which is like, you get to set a mission for a particular group of people that believe in the same thing and want to achieve something together, right? So like, can you create the platform for people to believe in something together and connect to each other in order to fulfill that thing? And whether it's entrepreneurship, uh, creativity, uh, you know, uh, the love of, I don't know, pop, whatever connects people, right? Like those are the things that are going to matter and you get to do that. And I think, you know, the best example is actually more so the work I did at Yoko. Um, so I think like a month after I joined Yoko, um, my manager was like, so I, I got hired as a community manager in Joburg. And this is a time when there was like four employees in Joburg and he gave me a budget and he was like, Hey, here's, you know, this much. And I just want you to be able to create an, an an experience for entrepreneurs unlike anything else. And I was like, okay, cool. That makes sense. And at the time, like entrepreneurship events are booming, right? You've got Startup Grind, you've got Hookup Dinner, you've got so many other platforms, Heavy Chef, all these sort of pockets of community that were very different in how they operated. Um, and my thing was just like, you know, I want us to do things differently. I don't want speakers. I don't want uh, the celebrity guest. I don't want... Um, people to feel like there's someone speaking over them. I wanted people to connect to each other um, through Yoko's mission, right? So enabling people to thrive is Yoko's mission. And we wanted to create an experience and a space where people felt like comfortable, right? So we did it differently. We put everyone in a room, we put beanbags in the room, and then we just put food, beer, and we just said, we don't have an agenda for this thing that we're doing here. We don't know what this is. What we know is small business owners need each other. They need to learn from each other. They need to connect to each other. They need to understand each other. They need to understand if they can create value for each other, where they're struggling, the things that, are, that I have in common and things like that. So I started the conversation by saying, you know, we don't have a speaker. We don't have a stage. We are in this room and we need to decide what this conversation needs to be. And it started by going, what are the things that you're struggling with? What are the challenges that you actually have? What would really move the needle for your business to take that next step? Um, you know, what is one thing you're really amazing at that you could offer to someone from across the room? And everyone started connecting on that basis. And that's how Yoko Meets started. And that's how it exists. You know, it's very, very adapted now. But that's how it existed for a very long time as just an open space to allow people to connect to each other via a mission that was set by Yoko. And you sort of get to do the same thing as a content creator, whether it's like a podcast or a platform. So we've built a platform now for entrepreneurs called Founders Source. Pretty similar thing. Here are all the resources you need to build something. Our mission, just keep building. We're going to enable you to be able to do just that. Now we need to figure out how do we start to connect people to each other based on this mission. Now, you, you, you've done this for brands, you've done this for platforms that you've created. 
uh, what are some of the most effective strategies on building and nurturing an online community that you found really worked for you? Um, a consistency of output and a consistency of reiterating the mission, um, a consistency of behaviors as well. So I do think like you start building a community without necessarily, you know, formalizing it. You don't want to, at the very beginning, just open up a Google form and say to people, fill in this thing and now you are part of something. Or here's a group, join us and then we speak in this platform. I think first you need to consistently start to find people, right? So recently I'm doing an experiment right now on community. Um, I call it the Just Keep Building um, sort of series. So I'm doing these like Instagram reels and TikToks where it's just like messages about um, starting, building or growing something or really just like unlocking your fullest potential as a person. And the experiment I'm running now is like, can I get more people to start sharing things that they feel like other people need to hear, one. But two, can I get people to just try again, right? I think that we're a country that's struggling for hope, struggling for optimism. And if you just get like a few more people believing that they have the, the potential and the ability to try things again, that's important. So the consistency of output starts with me just making sure that every single day, 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., I put out one of these videos. And I'm doing this consistently now, just like constantly, constantly, constantly. The next step of this or the next iteration of this is showing people doing really meaningful work in these videos to show people, oh man, I should try again. I should start again. I should build again. I should start creating again. And based on that, start to create like a lot more longer series and stuff like that. And then from there, um, really being able to create like a space where people can connect to each other. So I think a consistency of output, reiterating the mission. So that mission part is really important because it actually starts with you setting what the mission is, right? And like, this is a unique opportunity yeah. where you get to say to a group of people, we all believe in this one thing. And maybe right now, I'm just the only one that believes it. What happens now is like we build towards like the future where we can all believe in this thing and we find each other based on that thing and communicating it consistently. Like how do we do this? Like why does this matter? And then you need to really create like a route to action or even just like a map that shows people, okay, if I believe in this mission and I want to be part of this community, what are we trying to actually do? And what's the plan or the route for us going to that thing, right? So, um, yeah, those three things I think I are super to, important. I just want to go, go back, yeah. I just want to, I just want to go back to the, the community. I think building a community or finding people, and I think you, you emphasized finding people or finding the right kinds of people without necessarily creating a Google form to find those people. So in my mind, and I think in the minds of many content creators and people trying to build communities, there's this sort of chicken egg situation where um, do you find the people? And if so, how do you find and organize the people without having um, what we're referring to now as a form or whatever um, kind of way? Like how do you organize these people when they aren't organized right now. And as you find and organize them, how do you build on that? How do you build from one to the next uh, kind of thing? Right now, of course, um, you're building another community or at least you are adding to the, say, to the community that you've built. But you've also now have called it an established community that follows you, follows your ethic, follows your ethos. So it's easier to have that sort of domino effect of other people who are similar to the kind of people who follow you or at least who have a similar mindset. How do you find these people? Do you know, it's very interesting you say that because like I think of it as, especially with the experiment I ran on Instagram, like I had about 5,000 Instagram followers for like, the longest time, like the last, I don't know how long I've had Instagram, but like probably like eight years, whatever it was, I had like 5,000 to 7,000 followers. Um, and I was very comfortable with that. I was chilled. And then I started running this experiment where I was just trying to share specific messages of like hope, encouragement, things that enable, empower and educate people in some level, right? Like it might be short form content, but you can do that. And I started putting up these reels with my tweets and stuff like that. And 
from I think about January until like March, I gained something like 45,000. Like now I'm on 45,000 followers. And for the longest time, like I just couldn't grow my Instagram because I wasn't really creating content that was authentic to me. It was just like, oh, I'm on Instagram. I should probably take pictures of my food because that's what people are doing there, right? Like <laughs> you take pictures of your food, you take yeah, pictures yeah, of you yeah. having fun. But it was like, no, that's not what was your authentic travels, to me. What was yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like it, what was actually authentic to me would be, you know, sharing my thoughts. I just needed to find the right way to start being able to do that on that platform in a way that was authentic to me. So I think when you start to try and find your community, it's really about creating something at scale where you are signaling as much as possible on every platform who you're trying to reach, right? Like, I think when you put out content sure. consistently enough around a very specific focus and you're reiterating your mission. So like I talk about just keep building as being my new mission for people, right? And it's right. literally every day just like putting out these messages every day. And on Twitter, you'll see the tone of most of what I put out is really around that ethos. And that's how your community mm -hmm. starts to find you because even if it's just one person following you um, or you just putting this out on like a, an account on TikTok or Instagram where you don't have anyone there, what the algorithm is built to do is find those people. And I think like TikTok is the best platform for this where if you are looking for a specific type of content as a person, it will go out and find those specific types of content. And the more these algorithms get to know you and understand you, they start serving you up the right things. So what your role is as a content creator on the other end is to make sure that you're feeding the machine enough that it actually goes out and finds the right people for you. And like it signals them back to you. I never had like a massive following on, yeah. on all these platforms. It was really like the consistency of messages where I was just speaking about the same things very, very like consistently. Entrepreneurship, small business startups. I don't like to go left, go right. No, we are here to try and like enable as many people to start building and grow things they care about. You put that message out so much that people start to really gravitate towards you based on it. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. That's that, that that last bit is something that I want us to 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 expand on a little bit. This idea of sticking to um, a single-minded message on these platforms, because in the past, and 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 you would have been, you know, you would have been part of the community of content creators, community managers who in the, call it 2010s, 2012s, were telling people, or at least the message then was, uh, be authentic, be yourself, talk about what you want to kind of want to talk about, um, all of these things, right? And that also meant bring in the business, bring in the personal, bring in the this, right? So be a, 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 a sort of holistic social media user so that a person feels like they know and understand you. Today, we are saying have a more single-minded message. So, so, so from what I'm getting in what you're saying is like, you talk about building, you talk about startups, you talk about building again if you've started and failed. So your message is really around this sort of startup and create messaging. It doesn't mean you don't have opinions about politics, about power outages, about all these other things. But what I'm hearing is you saying, you have these opinions, but you won't bring them into your platforms. So what's the change between back then when we were saying have a more holistic, authentic account to today when we are now saying have an, an authentic account, but stick to a single-minded message? What's the change? That's very interesting. Um, and I, I really like the question, by the way. Um, I think like the last time I got on in trouble on Twitter, right? Like I, I don't get on trouble, right? Like I never get, I never say anything crazy. So, but the last time I did, it was because I saw like this, um, these packets of like burovos uh, that were vegan, right? And I quoted the tweet and I was like, if vegans love veggies so much, why do they want to recreate everything that the meat has, right? Like the shapes and the tastes and all of that. 
very, very ignorant message. This is something that I had no business talking about, but also very, very like, it came from an uninformed and un, like, it wasn't from a good place, right? Like, and I remember just like tweeting this, putting it on, on online and then going to work and forgetting about it. And then someone like randomly in conversation at work was like, yo, dude, what the hell did you just do? I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you should check your Twitter. So I go online and like this tweet is on like 2000 quotes and like crazy ratios, right? And it's just people bashing me just like, you ignorant bastards, you know, what, what, what. and like, that's the message here, right? <laughs> but also the message is like, I don't like to talk about things I don't feel deeply informed about. So I think before it was easy for you to be able to be all these things. You are a human being. You're multifaceted. There are many things that interest you. There's things that you care about. But the reality of like the social media world we're in, but also this content creator, brand builder sort of era we're in, we need you to focus. We, know, we, we need to know who you, what you're really about. And it really starts with simple things, by the way. Like, my handle is the most direct thing. It's like, at MASH Startup. You don't care about what the MASH thing is. It says Startup right there in the name. You go there, you know what you're expecting. Mm, yeah. Go to my bio, you sure. see words like entrepreneurship, empowering, enabling, you know, all these things. And the reason why I say it's okay to be a human being and try and, like, comment on these other things, but people need to know what they want to get from you. And if you're not doing a good enough job communicating what you care about, what are the things you're going to speak about? What is the focus of, like, why are people going to take their time out to speak to you, listen to you, engage with you? They need to know what you're about and what you believe in. And that's a very important part. It's like what you believe in that I can buy into. And like, that's the ultimate, you know, win for any content creator is building a community that backs them just as much as they back themselves. So if you're going to, you know, put out more content, they are going to help share that content and really help amplify it as well. That's the really good mark of it. And that can only happen when people feel like there is a focus. We understand why we're here. I don't think I'm, a, I'll never be able to, you know, um, create a, like, there's a certain cap for entrepreneurship, small business and startup content because only certain amount of people realistically are deeply invested in starting, building or growing things. It's not an easy thing. South Africans, for the most part, are being forced into it because we don't have opportunities and things like that. So it's a very small amount of people. I think that I need to be realistic and clear that I'm building a deep community instead of a wide one. It's not about building a massive audience. It's right. about building a very deeply engaged community of people that believe in the things that you believe in, want to back you, want to make sure that you are winning, and also want to like achieve something through the work that you're doing. So my job, honestly, and like I say the focus is to you know start building grow things, but the actual focus is to enable, empower, and educate people to be able to start or grow something that they care about. All the content needs to be able to do that. If there's something that really focuses itself there, I'm going to be part of it, right? So whether that's video, podcast, um, written, not as much. I think my writing is limited to just tweets. I love that. I think like long form is really interesting, but like, yeah, it just takes a bit more time. But yeah, I think like that's that's really my thinking on that. It's just people need to know what you believe in and know that they can buy into you as a human being. Um but you'll never see me be able to do that again. Like I'll never be able to be, you know, just champagne posting or like, you know, trips and things like that. It's always got to be linked to this mission that I've set for myself and the community that I want to build. You've mentioned that you worked with Yoko. You've also worked with Red Bull to help them build their communities. How does the work you do for established brands differ from the work that you do in, you know, with as a startup that you bootstrap? How, how different is the approach? Yeah, so with, with Red Bull, I was working with Red Bull Amapigo, um, which was the social impact sort of um, entrepreneurship development um, arm of Red Bull, right? And it was really exciting work, mainly just like um, sharing and finding. First, it was finding entrepreneurs that could be part of this amazing, you know, cohorts and be able to be part of these programs and things like that. Um, 
I think it's very interesting because the approach you have, say, for Yoko or Yoko Meets at the very beginning when, you know, we were, I was the first community manager and, like, I'm there on the ground trying to start this events property that should turn into a community. That is very different from, say, for example, five years, you know, five, six years later, now Yoko Meets needs to be different. It's a different sort of thing, right? It's the same thing when you're working with, like, say, a Red Bull or a Sage, because I work with Sage as well now. And I think the, 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 the biggest difference is with the startup or, like, at the very beginning, you can set the rules on your own versus with corporates where you think, I think there's a lot more structure and a lot more, okay, but we need it to be able to do just this specific thing. I think they want things to be very focused. They want things to be very intentional. Um, but you have a lot more experimental and like room to play when you're doing it with startups or when you're running your own experiments. Um, but either way, the approach to the mission and connecting people, that is not that different. It's really about the difference in how we set the mission and how we achieve it as well and the scale at which we do it, right? So, you know, we live in a capitalistic world. So, if a corporate gives you a budget of like a hundred thousand rand to to run an experiment on how you can help them access a new community, it's easy for you to like find different ways to try and do that. Um, I wouldn't suggest that. I, I think like constraints are important for innovation in people. Um, the less you actually have to use to do something, and like the more you need to just like you know tinker as much as possible and figure things out, it's actually a good thing. So I would say like there's a lot more rules and structure in place with corporates where you need to be doing a very specific thing that they've already like identified and earmarked. Whereas with startups, you really actually trying to figure things out. No one knows what the rules are. We create them. You, you wore or rather you wear the hats every now and again of enabling brands to build and, and create communities, uh, find collaborations and enable themselves to kind of reach out better to their customer. But of course, we've been talking about this quite a lot. You were the head of a content creator, of a podcaster, of someone who's trying to also build your community. How has your approach to partnering with brands changed the more you worked with brands to help them find collaborators and partners in the form of content creators. Yeah, I would actually suggest that to anyone that ever, you know, has that path, right? Like, if you can play on both sides, you really understand things a lot better. Um, it gives you a fresh perspective on both ends of, like, the, the, the game, right? Like, I think you see a lot more. Um, I think it's influenced the way I think about creating value more than anything, right? Like, I understand that... Most of the time, when someone says to you, hey, we don't have budget, what they actually mean is that we don't have budget for you or for this. We might have budget, but the, the budget for this is this specific thing. And usually, they've pushed and fought for that budget. And because of that, whatever value you try and create or add to them, they are like really hoping that it works out. If you can, as a content creator, and this is from a content creator side, Someone offers you a budget, get it closer to what, whatever rate that you really care about. That's good. If you can, that's great. And then the next thing, try and create more value than they actually expect. They want three TikToks, give them four. They want three TikToks, put them on Instagram Reels just because. Um, put them on TikTok, put, it, put them on Twitter, put, it, put them on Facebook. Just create just a little bit more value than what they, what they, what they expect. And... <clears throat> The, my reasoning for this isn't necessarily because I think that content creators should allow themselves to be exploited, but it's actually about the fact that this person most likely had to fight to try and get to this place where they're trying to make sure that we can experiment on this thing. I think brands, as much as it looks like a lot of brands are doing the influencer creator collaborations thing, it's not. And when it does happen, it's usually a small amount of money because they want to experiment. They're very scared. They don't know if it's going to work. I think that because of those that thinking, content creators with every single sort of opportunity have like the responsibility to really show how much more value can be created when you partner with someone that has access to the community that you want. And that's my thinking now from the brand side. 
when, you know, I was working with different companies, like doing these kinds of things, it was really always about who can create the most value for the community that we want to access, right? This goes back to the conversation we had before about like a focus on your niche and like making sure that you're speaking about yes. specific yeah. things. Yeah. Because if I'm a brand, <clears throat> I'm looking for, you know, um, people to be able to advocate for my financial services company. I'm going to look for people that are st- talking about financial services, that are talking about these things so much so that other people only follow them for that kind of content, right? And on the, right. Yes, on the brand side. So I think we need to take more risks, right? I think that the organizations now need to start being more, th- more, more, more honest about um, the size of the audience, not necessarily being the size of the community. And when you're looking for community, you need to take much bigger risks because what you're saying to someone is, I don't care if you have 2,000 followers. I know that those 2,000 people are most likely the people that we really want to talk to versus someone that has 20,000 followers. That's what I want to unpack. Who those that's people kind of, are. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want to unpack a little bit more uh, because, again, you've been on both sides. So, so usually the, 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 the common thinking would be that it's a numbers game. 10,000 followers, uh, 100,000 followers is better than 10,000. 10,000 is better than 1,000, give or take, right? That said, with your communities, for instance, you have a startup community and to a startup community a really great for instance as an example bookkeeping platform or a really great um cloud uh service would be really amazing they would pay quite a you know quite a substantial amount for that so so is it a numbers game in terms of the number of followers or is it a numbers game in terms of the quality of the follower um and 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 what that follower could what those followers could kind of pay for the service i ask this uh because we keep talking about niche versus broad we keep talking about um focus versus you know versus being um like a call it like a magazine program or a magazine that kind of focuses on everyone right um What's the, do, do brands see it that way? I know we see it that way as content creators because you definitely want to serve a certain kind of person. Do brands see it that way? Do people like Mashudu see it that way when they are inside the brand? Well, I do. <laughs> you know, like there's also just like the, there's, there's the reality of like marketing KPIs, right? Like, oh no, we want, you know, this many impressions. We want this much engagement, whatever else it is. I think what, what the, the smart brand managers or like guys that are looking at this stuff are doing is doing more of a hybrid where you go, okay, you know, we want people who are in this specific community who are three people that have a mass audience in this community? And then who are three or six or nine people that have much smaller followings, but they have deep community in this, these places? And you're trying to put all these people into like, okay, this campaign is going to be 10 people. You got three people that have operate at scale, three people that are at like a medium level. And then you've got like, you know... Um, Four people that are just like have a very deep community, even though they don't have an, necessarily the following. Because what you do there is you can cover your marketing KPI basis by, you know, having these guys that are performing at the scale. But you also have the people that really deeply care at the, at the lower end of the sort of following thing. I do think, you know, we're going to evolve to the point of following not ever mattering. And that that's where I think now I just don't look at it. It doesn't matter. Um, when, when like my Instagram went from 7,000 to 45, my only thought was like, ugh, you know, I don't know who these people are anymore. My biggest thing with like 5,000 followers is like, you start to recognize people's names. You know what's going on in their lives. You start like understanding who they, they might be, the work that they do. But when you get to 45, you, you don't become know a stalker in other words. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you get to like 45 though, it's like at scale and you just like don't know who these people are anymore. And that actually takes away from the experience for you as a content creator because now you don't know who your community is. It might be there, but you need to then like start doing the work just to mine those people out of like the noise of the massive following. So 
Yeah. From a content sure. creator side, I think like it's important to niche down, but from a brand side, be very smart about that mix rather than choosing, you know, just numbers or just community. It's like just, yeah, you, you map it out. Does proximity matter? Because sometimes, in, because sometimes you are in South Africa, you are in New York, you are, you know, in, in any part of the world. A lot of the times you would more often than not go for brands or sponsorships that are within the space that you are. That said, when you jump from five, seven thousand followers to 45,000, when you jump from a hundred YouTube subscribers to a hundred thousand, your mix of followers starts starts diversifying across the world. It starts getting bigger in that way. So does proximity matter? I mean, like in your in, in the case of, for instance, when you worked with Yoko, did you predominantly want communities that were based in South Africa? Does, you know, how do those things work? Because for me as a content creator, what I'm realizing is that the more my platforms grow, the more likely I am to start getting more and more people from outside South Africa, especially on YouTube, is what I'm realizing. That long form content, in as much as people are interested in it locally, it's starting to, it's, it's making waves internationally it's also because of the types of people i speak to and the subjects i i speak on now does proximity matter in terms of where the brand is and the people they're trying to reach and how can content creators and brands rethink this that's so interesting that's a very interesting point and like what you said you know it's very true you know when we jumped from seven thousand to forty five, i noticed just like how many of them were actually from you know markets where they have a lot more access to technology, a lot more access to the internet. And I started wondering, like, that's interesting. Is it because they just have that, you know, reach? And because the platforms now are mainly about the quality of the content and not necessarily the location of where it's coming from, they're going to get served that content, right? So I do think, like, the platforms don't care anymore, which means we should be thinking differently. The only difference is with the brands... Most of the brands that I'm working with are speaking or focusing on South Africans, right? So then I need to be very conscious of making sure I can keep that South Africanness and make sure that that like the content has that sort of focus because you don't want to go too far out, right? Because if it's too far out, then you're yeah. just a generic product and no one really knows who your community actually is. And I don't think you want that. So. Sure. It is something that is just like a a, a a consequence of the growth that your audience will start to diversify in terms of where they're coming from. But the community still needs to be based where the people that really care about accessing them um, can do that. Because imagine building like a mass audience of people um, that care about startup and small business content but when you try and build a community the first thing you're doing is like hey guys we're gonna do a, a, a an event in person in santon and your community is like in you know london it's in new york it's in like kigali it's in like you know that becomes very very yeah. tricky so you need to be 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 very conscious about who you're creating for where they are um where they are in their lives I always think like the most important thing you can do for yourself as a content creator is really have a profile of the person that you're creating for. Like, who is this person? How much do they earn? Where do they live? Yeah. What are the things that they care about? Do they have a family? Are they building a home? You know, all these different things. Because just like businesses and brands, you need to be more intentional about who you're creating for, what you're doing, how you create it. You know, those mm -hmm. things really start yeah. to matter. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. Build for mindset rather than location. Or rather yes. than uh, that kind but, of... But location so still build. matters. So, so by mindset, I just mean you know, the demographic that you're reaching out to. If they are about startups built for people who are into startups rather than people who are necessarily into startups in Joburg. Um, you know, like like I'm trying to think of um, content creators, some of the big names out there, like Rogan, for example. Um, Rogan, for example, versus, you know, a travel a travel 
blogger or vodcaster in Joburg who reviews uh, who reviews places in South Africa. Um, so that does does that kind of matter? I, suppo- I suppose it does because if you are a brand, that's what you'd be looking for, right? You know, I, I think it, it just. Uh... There are no rules. Like, I think we try and, like, label these things too, too like, definitively sometimes. <laughs> um, I think that you need yeah, to do the yeah, things that yeah. work for you, right? Like, when it comes to creating content, they, we really mostly are, like, first-timers and, like, everyone's just DIYing. And, like, you really need to be honest with yourself about the things that you care about. For me, it's, like, enabling, empowering, and, 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 and educating South African entrepreneurs is great. But I want to do broader. So I care about being able to access a lot more people. But I'm always going to have the South African context be very, very visible. So, for example, with my podcast, we have interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs from other countries and other continents. But primarily, this is about South African startups, right? Like, and you're going to see that in the content itself. You're going to see that in the guest selection. You're going to see that in the companies that we want to talk to. They're usually solving South African problems from a South African perspective with a South African thinking. And that actually matters. The next step is to go across the continent because I think that's super important as well. Like really understanding the context of building startups in Kenya, in, 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 in Egypt, in Nigeria. I think it, it becomes like so much more impactful when you start to build that way. Um, but not necessarily just going, you know, I am based here and I will not create outside of this place. Can you share some thoughts on your experience of securing sponsorship successfully and advertising uh, from pod, from a podcasting perspective and content creator perspective? Because you mentioned that you've collaborated. I know you've collaborated with uh, with Red Bull. You collaborate with brands every now and again. You collaborated. There was another one with Capitech as well. Um, do you find that collabor- these collaborations work to kind of sponsor the podcast or platform that you're building or do you build the platform with the intention of monetizing something else the same way that we kind of you know people kind of did with blogs in the past where you blog to monetize your talks or you do this to monetize something else does it work the same for you or do you find that brands are more amenable to sponsoring the podcast and advertising there which is kind of what some people want to monetize. Like, where, where are you seeing success? What's your experience there? Yeah, it's a very interesting question um, again. So I think, like, um, I've always thought of these things as being just, like, buy into the community, don't buy into a specific medium or um, a specific platform. I think that when brands come out, they're just going, hey, you know, we want to speak to entrepreneurs. And I go, okay, we'll do a podcast, we'll do an Instagram reel, we'll do a Twitter space, we'll do, you know, a Facebook Live, whatever else it is. So I think it comes down to that really, which is like, can we create value across the platform so that you can access the community in the different ways that the community exists versus, you know, just sponsor the podcast? I do think also, you know, this is coming from just like the reality of where we are numbers-wise as podcasts in South Africa or like, um, yeah, in South Africa specifically, podcasts will never be able to, you know, compete with radio numbers for advertising money because we just don't have the scale. We don't have the accessibility. People don't aren't able to do this as much as they can just listen to the radio or just watch TV or anything like that because that, that's a lot more accessible than it, the internet is. I think that we, you know, urban, urban kids with, like, access to technology think that everyone, like, life is like this, and it's not the majority of South Africans don't access the internet at the same level as most people do. Um, People are not necessarily consuming content at that level and at that scale. So because of that, podcast numbers are not enough usually to be able to justify any sort of campaign unless it's a very, very focused experiment um, to dig deep into a community. And I do think, like, again, when you package it as, okay, we'll do a podcast, but then we'll amplify on different platforms so that you can access our community in different ways. That becomes a lot more valuable to a brand marketer than it is to just say, hey, I have a great podcast. You sponsor the episode and we'll just mention it on the episode itself because that's always going to be limited and it's always going to be niche. So I do think like 
the thinking there needs to change where you're going. I'm selling a platform and access to an entire community um, across different places versus I'm just selling you like a space on my podcast because then you're competing with, with things that are, you know, just not, that, that have a lot more reach and a lot more um, accessibility than you do. So yeah, I think of it that way. Um, but I do think like it's growing. Um, brands are experimenting. Um, it's only going to get better. It's just not where it needs to be right now. You mentioned finding your people, building a community, creating content that resonates with people, being authentic. What other steps or what other things should podcasters and content creators who are looking to attract brands do to improve the way that they, they um, you know, the, the way that they are more likely to attract some of the sponsorship and advertising revenue? Yeah, I think the number one thing you should do is not do it for brands. Um, really focus on your community. Don't do it for brands, focus on your community. And what that really means is like, you have a specific person in mind when you're creating your podcast that this is going to help this person in a specific way. This is going to empower them in some way. This is going to make them feel a certain way. This is going to help them operate differently, build differently. I hope that every podcast that I release influences one person to build their business, think about building a business very differently than they would have before they listen to the episode, right? Like, that's my intention. And with that intention, what that means is if, say, for example, an accounting software like Sage, who are an amazing partner I've had for about a year, uh, two years actually, um, who are going, you know, we're going to partner with you long term to enable more small businesses to access this amazing tool. And what happens is when I say, you know, here's the amazing content of this amazing entrepreneur who's built their business in this way, but here's also the software that that person's actually using in their business to be able to enable you. That is like synergy. That is just like perfect alignment where you're going, I'm speaking to people that are starting and building things. You want to access those people. We partner with each other to really amplify this message of these amazing tools and resources. And we sort of leverage that as much as possible. So I do think like that, that's the first thing is I think of my community first. What do I hope that this person learns and understands that helps them start or build better? And whoever I plug into this platform, they can also elevate that by saying to this person, not only do you think about building differently, here are the resources to be able to do that. So I do think like when you think about it that way, where you're going, I'm not building for a brand, I'm building for a community, but that community needs to be able to do certain things. And the partners we bring on board will be able to help enable those people to do even more. So I think maybe I can share like my big announcement because I heard you speak about it like earlier, right? And my big announcement is like... <laughs> you will, you will just now. You, in fact, in fact, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Are go you ahead. sure? Go for it. I'm, I what can is wait. this big announcement? <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go for it. What is this big announcement? I mean, I've, I've been every, we've been on the edge of our seats since you mentioned it on Twitter. So go, what is the big announcement? Tell the so, people. So my, my big announcement that I'm like, I'm choosing this platform because I think it's an important platform, right? Um, is that I'll be a telecom brand partner for from from 2023, right? And what that means is like, again, an incredible, you know, brand that really cares about connecting young people, keeping them connected, saying, we are going to find people that care about this mission just as much as we do. And that's what I care about. If I can help a lot more young people be connected, stay connected, and be able to understand the ecosystem of telecom services and products to better enable them to start building, grow things, be able to better be better students, be better entrepreneurs, be better people at their careers, that is insane. So, you know, with a partnership like that, again, it's really about you know, what's the mission? What's the clear thing that we want to achieve? And what they care about more than anything is getting people connected and really helping them understand the value yeah. of the products and services that they have. And, you know, this is this one is like a really big one that I was really, really grateful for. And I hope that it's going to be an incredible journey to really helping people access, you know, that ecosystem because it's, it's a massive and incredible place. And yeah, the more work we do to share this mission, to share the work that they've been doing, um, yeah, I think we can do do some really important things. No, congratulations. I mean, that's, that's, that's really exciting. And it will 
absolutely help the work reach more people, which is precisely why you're doing it and what you're doing. There's something that came up while you were mentioning Sage, which is connected to this partnership with Telcom. Um, You mentioned radio a bit earlier in the conversation uh, in terms of advertising and advertising revenue. So one of the things about radio and established media is that there's a template or predominantly a template with which they approach an advertiser with which they approach a brand. For podcasters and content creators, there isn't. Now, without necessarily getting into the details of how you structure the deals with your partners, how do content creators and podcasters create these templates for themselves in a way that a marketer or a brand is used to seeing so that they say, I can put my $5 rands here versus there. So I do think like um, the models exist, right? It's not that we need to recreate the rules. It just needs to be adapted a lot, right? So I think the biggest advantage that a lot of creators that are very smart do is they'll spend a lot of time understanding how these relationships between creators and brands have worked in Europe, how they've worked in America. Mostly America because they started it, they figured it out, and they used it really well. I think um, Asia is also interesting, like China specifically, you know, you're seeing very interesting things from like relationships between brands and creators where people are just hired to just be content creators um, for a specific company and stuff like that. And what you need to do is be able to like learn and leverage a lot of those interesting things that those people are doing and adapt them to our reality. I think, for example, you know, when you want a rate card, go onto, you know, the best creators in the world, they'll have a rate card available somewhere online. And if they don't, create a, a, a fake brand and be just ask them for their, for their rate card. Just like, oh, hey, hope you're doing well. I'd really love to work with you with our brand. And can you please give us your rate card? And what that does is it really helps you contextualize. First, what people are charging for is super important, right? So, you know, sometimes you'll see, you know, um, campaigns that are just like, Oh no, we'll pay you for one tweet. Um, we'll pay you for one TikTok video. We'll pay you for, for doing a Instagram live or a Twitter space. And then so it's like, understand that. I see that there's value in being doing that, but it's like a very pump and dump approach to things. Because what you're doing there is just like, we need you as a billboard, read the script, make this product shine, and we're good. We're good, right? I think those relationships, people can see through them. And inauthentic um, sort of, things like that, your community will start fighting back back, because they'll be going, I don't know if this is authentic to him. I don't know if this is what he really cares about. I know this person. Like, I know their mission. So I'm not sure if this is okay. But when you partner with brands on a long-term basis and you're saying, you know, we want you to be the person that speaks, that shares our mission, that understands our products, that advocates for our products from an informed place that makes sure that the people that need it the most are getting access to them. That's a different relationship, right? Like that's where you're going, hey, we should partner for the next two years um, on my podcast. I'm going to put you on, you know, on the right places where I'm showing up and I want to show up for you as well. What events do you guys have? Where can I take part? What are you guys doing in communities? How can I get involved? All these different things. So for me, I think that those relationships are going to start changing where brands are starting to be a lot more conscious and saying, you know what, we don't want to pump and dump. What we want to do is partner with people that can really advocate for our mission and help us connect with the right communities. And we want to partner with them for a long term period. That is going to become a lot more common because brands don't want to just like, you know, quick, quick, quick. And because audiences are starting to learn, this is not who they are. So I do think like, you need to yeah, be very, yeah. very conscious about how you design the way you want to build these relationships and trying to emphasize sure. how important it is for you that they understand that you want to make sure that your community understands why you're partnering with them and mm-hmm. how you can actually make sure that that partnership benefits your community as well. So where we started, I think we, we started out talking about the fact that algorithms almost reward content that kind of works and content that people are interested in. I'm getting a sense now of you saying that audiences reward authenticity. So if algorithms reward 
best good performing content, audiences reward authenticity when it comes to the kind of people who follow you. Now, in closing, um, in closing, what are your thoughts on how brands can dip their toes into podcasts as well as into sponsoring content creators? And for content creators, how do they build the kinds of brands, the kinds of content, the kinds of platforms that make advertising and sponsorship deals possible and easy to come, to come by? So I'm going to start with the last question because I think it's such an important one. If you build a core community in a very specific subject matter that really has a clear mission and those people are deeply engaged, every brand will care about contacting you, right? So like if you're doing it for small businesses, whether you're doing it for you know personal finance, whether you're doing it for travel, whatever it is, if you build a big enough community of people that deeply care about that subject matter, are deeply aligned to the mission that you've set and are deeply engaged with the stuff that you're making, everyone that is interested and cares about accessing that community will understand that they, their responsibility is to make sure that they partner with you to make what you're doing more sustainable, but also to help them be able to access that community. That's it. Like, I think that's the entire game, is building a core community in a clear subject matter of people that are deeply engaged, deeply, you know, care about something and, like, deeply engaged in, in the mission that you set as well. That's the last question. In terms of brands and podcasts, I do think, like, South Africa sort of skipped a step uh, in that we went from zero to 100 too quickly, right? Like, we just didn't have the phase of experimentation from brands to test these things out. And maybe we just haven't gotten there yet, right? Which is what we need is a generation of small businesses or startups that start going, you know, we can't afford to be on Twitter with influencers. We can't afford to do influencers on TikTok, on Instagram and stuff like that. But there's this really, really, really small very core community of people that listen to this type of content or watch this type of content. Why would we not experiment with those people first rather than trying to put our money in Facebook ad spend or something else? I think there's a massive opportunity for startups, especially to really think about this differently. And you saw this in America. So early on, I'd say 2010s or whatever it was, you saw, you saw a lot of work with like Shopify, um, Squarespace, um, a couple of other startups where they thought about this and they went, you know, we might be better off just putting just like 10% of what we actually used to spend on Facebook and just putting it on podcasts where people are speaking about the things yeah. that we care about. Squarespace and Shopify, all they care about is accessing a lot more creators, entrepreneurs and people that want to build their own platforms on the internet. They hit every single entrepreneurship podcast, small business podcast, startup podcast, life improvement, self-improvement podcast, creative podcasts. And it was really like, a, 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 you know, you'd see them across 10 podcasts because as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, you know the sort of podcast that you're listening to. And they'll probably be in the same pool. And they could target those people several times over these different channels. But like, you know, it's the same community. I think that we're going to see this start happening in South Africa where someone like, say, a naked insurance goes, okay, we want everyone that talks about personal finance or anything related to like finance of yourself um, in any way or self-improvement. We want all of those podcasts to be sponsored by naked. And we want the hook to say, you know, get naked, um, use the offer code naked mash. And that's the experiment that needs to happen. So what happens there is you charging for, you know, just placing the ad itself. And then you're saying to, the, to Naked, okay, guys, what we need to do actually is use this as a test. And I think a lot more podcasters should be doing this yeah. with the brands that they care about. Ask them for a promo code. Take that promo code and use that promo code on your podcast. If enough people start converting off of that promo code and you are getting paid a certain commission, for example, for using that promo code, something will come out of that. So I do think like that's what needs to happen is like a lot more experimentation, a lot more uh, startups going, you know, we want to give these guys a chance. But you can also do this on your own without the brand's knowledge. A lot of these tech companies, whether it's like Yoko, Frank, um, a couple of other guys, what they'll do is if you sign up as a, as a user, you'll get a promo code based on being a user. And what you can do is just use, literally just refer people 
And the company doesn't, like, they encourage you to do this. And if you put it on your podcast and a lot of people convert, you've monetized your podcast without having to even have a conversation with the brand. So I do think a lot more of this innovation, this thinking needs to also come from the creators, where the creators start being the ones that go to, like, startups and small businesses and say, hey, I know you don't spend, you know, you spend money on Facebook ads, but would you rather, you know, put this on a on a podcast instead. Let's do this as an experiment. You pay me for every sale that I make. You don't pay me if I don't make any sales. No one gets, no one loses anything in that situation. And we have like this experiment running where we start to learn whether or not this could work. So I think that's what really needs to happen. Just experimentation. I think podcasts are, are right now still going to be something that people are experimenting with. And if you have a clear KPI, like a promo code with a sign up, then you really can measure whether or not something is effective. And that's where brand managers need to start doing. It's just like, let's see. It's time to experiment. It's time to test. Give the, you know, small podcast just a, you know, a few rands just to test this out and see whether or not it can work. And the brands that do it really authentically and connect with the right communities, I think those guys will win. That's great. Um, thanks so much, Mashudu, um, for, for the time and for the insights. I think, I mean, what I, I'm getting a lot out of that, build your audience, experiment. Um, and I think more and more brands need to start thinking with, need to start viewing the world, especially with content creators through a startup lens of experimentation, of, of creating um, of creating something meaningful. And yeah, congratulations on your partnership with Telcom. I look forward to seeing what you, what you do with that. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate the time and being on the platform. No, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a pleasure on our side. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with your network or your friends. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter on at Mongesi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find me on mongesi.com. <laughs>